So uh, we're wrapping up our, uh, it was going to be a six-week series, and we had a snow day, so it's a five-week series, because I'm not going to take it further, because we're ready to get into Nehemiah next week. I'm excited about that, but um, we're going to wrap up our series on Trust God this morning, and I want to just begin by, by telling you something. Maybe you know this. Maybe this is a, a foregone conclusion. You've been aware of this for a while. For some of you, it will be revelatory. There is a battle for your mind taking place even at this very moment. And in our culture, it's a very, often a very subtle battle, uh, but, it, but it's happening. It's raging all around us all the time. And the Apostle Paul compares the mind in his writings to a fortress. He says, your, your mind is like a castle. It, it's a stronghold. It, it's, a, it's a place that's constantly under barrage, it's under attack from our enemy. There's a battle raging within your mind. And the person who's in the most danger of being taken captive in that, uh, in that exchange and made a prisoner is you. It's you. Because the mind is the place where the, the, the devil wants to take your mind captive. He wants to make it his spiritual headquarters. He wants to take you captive and make you uh, submitted to fear and doubt and make you ineffective in your life and ineffective for the kingdom of God. And you are the target and your mind is the bullseye of that target. He really wants to come after our minds. So, so we've got to get serious about this reality because it's not playtime. And I love the, the story of the little boy I read. Uh, came home from a run-in with a neighborhood boy. Anybody raise kids that that's happened? Uh, used to happen more often in my day. Used to happen way more often in my parents' day, right? It was just part of growing up. At some point, you're going to have an altercation with another kid. And the little boy comes home and his mom said, what on earth? is going on. You've got a black eye, your nose is bleeding, your cheek is bruised, your, co- your coat is torn to bits, and, and the, you can just see the little boy standing there in the doorway with his head down, and, and he's being scolded, you know, and he's bruised and he's bleeding, and, and mom goes on, she says, how many times have I told you not to play with that bad Jenkins boy? And he looks up with her with the one eye swollen and the other eye glaring, and he, he says, mom, do I look like I was playing? Right? No, there's no play time here. There's no playing going on in this. Christians don't have time to play with this stuff. And the question we have to ask is why? Why is the devil so interested in our minds? Why would he come after our minds? And the answer is really simple if, if he can control your mind, he can control you. He can control you. It's how God designed us that the mind is the control center of who we are as a person. So the Bible speaks to this in Proverbs 23, 7 and, and says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, so whatever's happening here in the mind, it, it doesn't just impact, it, it forms how we live. It shapes how we interact with people. It, it controls everything about our lives. So contrary to what you've been told, you are not what you eat, you are what you think. You are what you think. Uh, and if the church is going to take ground, if we're going to see souls saved, if we're going to see lives in this community impacted, then we have to learn to fight the battle correctly. We have to learn to fight the battle in our minds. So the weapons of our warfare, as we do that, are not weapons of this world. Second um, Corinthians 10, Paul says it this way. He says, though we walk in the flesh, though we, we, have, we have bodies of flesh and blood, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. So you know, what are these strongholds Paul's talking about? Well, listen to the next two verses. He says, we destroy arguments 
We destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. But did you catch those three things? Here, here are the weapons. Here, here's the place where the, the battle's happening. We're going to destroy arguments, okay? And we're going to take uh, a captive every lofty opinion that was raised against the knowledge of God and, and make every thought captive and obedient to Christ. And, and, and then he says, ready to uh, punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So part of what, what Paul's saying there is like, Part of our success and our victory in helping other people gain mastery over their mind and, and fight this battle is that we have to do that too. We have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit work on us. And then when he's, he's done a work in us, then we're ready to help other people kind of get their house in order. And there's a right way to fight and there's a wrong way to fight. And the, the Apostle Paul says here, it's our job in the battle to destroy strongholds. So Paul's talking about pretentious arguments that are set up against the knowledge of God. It's a mental battle. And he says that part of our job as Christ followers is to destroy strongholds. So, so a stronghold can be one of two things. A stronghold can be a worldview. It can be a way of seeing the world. Um, materialism, and I don't mean going shopping all the time, buying stuff materialism. I mean uh, the belief that uh, matter is all there is in the universe. That's called materialism. There's no supernatural, right? That's a worldview. Uh, hedonism, pleasure is the ultimate pursuit. That's a worldview. Darwinism, secularism, relativism. What's true for you is not true for me. That's a worldview. It's a bad one, but it's a worldview. Uh, communism, atheism, all of the isms are different mental strongholds that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so we gotta, we gotta contend with those isms. We gotta figure out what they believe and why they believe that and what Christianity says and how it informs that and whether it's true or not. But a stronghold can also be a personal attitude. Um, how many of you know worry can be a stronghold? Right? Uh, worry can be a stronghold. You've seen it in a loved one. You've seen it in a family member. You might have struggled with it personally. Uh, seeking the approval of others, people pleasing can be a stronghold. So now we're talking about personality uh, bents in this. Anything that you make an idol of in your life can be a stronghold. Fear, guilt, resentment, pride, insecurity, all of these things are strongholds in our minds. The Bible says we have to tear them down. We have to tear them down. Um, Yogi Berra said about the game of baseball, 90% of the game is half mental. Which I think that statement may be half mental. 90% of the game is half mental. When it comes to spiritual warfare, 100% of the battle is all mental. It's all, it deals with the mind. The old proverb puts it this way. You've heard this, you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap character. You sow character, you reap destiny, right? But that begins, the, the first link in the chain is how you think, your thought life is the big part of that. And so I just say to you again, if the church is gonna take ground in our day, if we're gonna thrive, if we're gonna fulfill the great commission, if we're gonna be obedient to Jesus, we must learn to fight the battle correctly. And so the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. And, and in the Psalms, we're gonna look at a Psalm here in just a second. You get to read a lot of David's thoughts and, uh, and his feelings, his personal struggles and victories, David's doubts, David's fears, um, his moments of deepest intimacy with God. And as someone who resonates with David as a leader, uh, I, find it, I find it really um, 
helpful to look at the pattern in his writings of how he deals with these thoughts. He's a warrior poet. He's a shepherd. He's a king. He's a man who knew to fight, how to fight. Physically, uh, David was a mighty warrior honed in battle. And before he ever got to the battlefield, he'd already dealt with bears and lions, barehanded. That's crazy. I mean, how many of you would just say, yeah, like a bear attacked me and I just beat it down? Nobody. There was that, that, was this last week? There was some guy, the mountain lion, he killed a mountain lion with his bare hands. I'm like, dude, that's a dude, right? Um, not that I want to try that at all, but um, David, David had honed his life in battle. And um, I want us to just look at the opening verses of Psalm 56 because he was someone who knew the importance of God's truth as it pertains to gaining mastery over your feelings in the moment. When you're afraid, when you're scared, when you're terrified, or when you're just feeling totally beat down, he knew how to go to God's truth and let it have mastery over him. And so David, fighting these spiritual battles in his mind is a valuable model for us to adopt as Christ followers in our war against our enemy. If we're gonna trust God more, and that's what this whole series has been about, right? Trusting God. And we're gonna walk in the spirit, we have to take our thought life captive and be submitted to God's authority. So look at Psalm 56, and, and so if you have a paper Bible, use that. If you have your device, feel free to use that. If you have the YouVersion Bible app and you go to the events section, you'll find Emmaus Road Church and my sermon notes, if that helps you, if you're one of those people who follows along notes, uh, feel free to do that as well. So here's the text. The first four verses of Psalm 56, uh, he says, to the choir master, according to the dove of the far off terebinths. So apparently there was a popular song, Top 40 in David's day, called the dove of the far off terebinths. And so they just use the same melody for that song for this one. It's a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Okay, so there's your, there's your context, there's what happened. Um, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long as an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long and many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Do you see how fast the turnaround happens? Fast. Let's just take it apart one verse at a time. Look at verse one. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long an attacker oppresses me. Key words here. Number one, gracious. David is only able, only able to approach God because of grace. It's the only way to get to God. It's the only path into the presence of God. Grace has always been the means of salvation and drawing near to God. The saints of old, under the old covenant, they knew this well. They didn't approach God by the law, by the keeping of the law. They couldn't do it. It was by grace. It was by grace. And and so it's never our merit. It's never our deserving that allows us to come to God. It's not, I have enough burden that you should listen to me, Lord, because I've earned your attention. It's never that. It's, It's just grace. It's the grace of God. It's never our merit. It's never my cleverness or my goodness. It's only always ever by grace. And then another key word here, he talks about oppression. His complaint has to do with the way that David's being treated, right? How many of you have ever been mistreated? Oh, that's awesome. None of you. Like, okay, three of you. I've been mistreated. You have too. Uh, And sometimes we deserve it and sometimes we don't. And then often we don't know whether we deserve it or not, but we feel like we don't. Um, Sometimes I have deserved the mistreatment I have received because I was mistreating someone else. Um, 
that's funny. I just, I just had a conversation with a guy I went to junior high with this week on Facebook. I haven't talked to him in years. And the, the only memory I really have of this guy is that he stood up to me when I was being a bully to another kid. And it was a pivotal moment in my personal development. And I, was, and I had the opportunity to thank him decades later over Facebook. It was the craziest thing. It was, oh, so mistreatment, sorry. Tangent, stay with me. David's hidden himself. We know that he's in the city of Gath. He's among the enemies of God because that's what the, the context gives us, right? The Philistines are the enemies of God's people, but he's being pursued by Saul who wants to take his life, so he, he does the next best thing he can do. He thinks, I'll go hide among the Philistines and stay there where Saul won't come and get me. So it's a lose-lose situation for him. Um, but he, Gath is the city where a particular giant used to live, if you remember your Old Testament, uh, Goliath, and you remember that incident with David. So do you think that Goliath's family had forgotten what David did? No, no way. And yet David reckons that he's got a better chance among the pagan Philistines, the enemies of God's people, than staying among the Israelites. That's a dark day. That's a dark day. And he goes there, and, and, um, and, and he's with them, with the Philistines. And, and um, so this, this phase of the battle, David's there, and he's crying out to God. And so this phase of the battle in the mind consists of running to the Lord before we do anything else, because that's what David does. He goes straight to God. He goes straight to God. And this is so important. If we run to anything else first, we are putting our hope in that thing, not the Lord. We're going to that for our source of life, not the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a sin or just a habit or some distraction or a person or your therapy iguana. Or what, Are you guys awake? You staying with me? Therapy iguana? I, I, just, I, I throw these things in just to make sure that you're paying attention. Okay. All right. It, it doesn't matter what it is. If our impulse is to seek a person or a thing before we run to God, then we've elevated the thing above God. And it's an idol right? And so we need to repent of our idolatry. And so David rightly begins this psalm. He cries out to God as his first impulse. And then he gets to the problem. Look at verse two. He says, my enemies trample on me all day long and many attack me proudly. Key word, trample. If somebody's trampling you, there's a total disregard for you as a person. Zero consideration. Zero consideration. You are underfoot. You are on the level of dirt to be walked on. And you can see how David's feeling at this point because of his choice of words. It's a pretty vivid language, right? Um, we use that kind of language with people that we interact with, even God's people. Um, and, and so I would just say there's a, <laughs> sometimes counseling moments and people will say, this person is just you know, this and this and this to me. And then you have to lovingly kind of bring people back and say, well, I don't, I don't really think it's that bad. I've been watching this. And there's a place for correction in the body of Christ. But, but I think when it comes to God, he really is, he's a big boy and he can handle it. And we just come to him and just say, man, it just feels like I'm just being beaten down, right? And, and I love that David's just being really dramatic here and, and he's, he's pouring out his heart because I think it's important that we, um, in our interaction with God, that we just pour out how we're feeling to him. He can handle that. He can handle that. And there's something really good about it because almost every time I do that, and, and um, I, just, I just say everything that I think is true about it, and I hear my own words kind of resonate, I go, you know, I really think maybe that's not quite as bad as I 
thought it was. Even in my own heart, there's almost an immediate recognition that I'm being a little over the top about how I feel, right? And that's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. So um, just like a good gentle friend or a family member, God will bring perspective and peace to your heart. He can do that. And then another key word here in verse two is attack. Um, You and I have a very real enemy. His name is Satan and he hates us because we're made in the image of God. We're given jurisdiction and stewardship over creation, over the earth. And he especially hates it when we turn in faith to Jesus Christ and and, and find redemption and forgiveness in Jesus, put our hope in him and receive salvation. Uh, Jesus said in John's gospel that this enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's his mission. He's literally hell-bent on destroying your life. And if he can take your mind captive and and ruin your thought life, he's won the battle. So just like David, we're under attack from enemies. And then key word here, proud. They're proud enemies. It's an important word because God hates pride. He hates pride. It's the epicenter of all sin is pride. You just think of any sin you can think of right now in your mind and at the root of it is pride because what you're saying is, I know better than God what will satisfy me. I know better than God what I need right now, right? It is is standing in the place of God. And so uh, it's the center of all sin. Ezekiel uh, 28, in fact, this is a a lament over the king of Tyre, but uh, it's a a song. A lament is a song, right? And so God tells the prophet, he says, raise this lament, sing this song over the king of Tyre. But you find out really quickly that the song is not about that human king of Tyre because some of the things that are described in the song are only true of Lucifer. And so here's what he says in Ezekiel 28. He says, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. So that could be the king of Tyre. Next verse, you were in Eden, the garden of God, not the king of Tyre, okay? Lucifer, before he fell, every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, diamond, Beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. That's an important little piece right there. Satan's a created being. He's not, if you got this like balance, bringing balance to the force, God and Satan thing, yin and yang, just blow that up. Satan's a created being and God is the creator of all things, right? So you are created, you are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Unrighteousness was found in Lucifer. Now that word unrighteousness translates, other translations, wickedness, evil, iniquity, perversity, but at the root of all of that is pride. It's pride. Pride that says, I know better than God. The same pride that was found in Lucifer in the garden among the stones of fire. How cool would that be? We'll get to see that someday, by the way. That's just, that blows my mind. That same pride it, 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 it just burrows right down into my heart. It just, it, it works itself into my thoughts. It works itself into my attitude. And humility is the only antidote for pride, which is why God would say, 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
I'm just having this thought right now, so I'm just going to go with it because um, it's almost like pride is running. Pride is us running around naked, going, "Look at me! Look at me!" Right? And he's like, "Put put on humility, dude. Really, like, please, right now." In fact, here, let me just drape this over you. Humility, right? It's just that's man. It's like being in Seattle um, during the bike ride. It's like put 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 on some humility. So, so David laments, his enemies are attacking him all day long. They're not letting up, it's constant pressure. They're proud and arrogant. And so this phase of the battle in the mind is making your petitions and requests known to God, right? And I say that, but you and I both know very, very well, God already knows all things. He's not surprised, uh, caught off guard by our prayers, expressions of our needs. But that does not alleviate the reality that we need to humble ourselves and express them anyway, because it's not really about God benefiting from the conversation. It's about us benefiting from the conversation. And it's for our is for our good. And there's this implicit admission that David is weak and that God is the one who's strong. So my enemies trample me. They're proud. They're arrogant. I, I, and what he's saying is I can't overcome that. I don't have the strength. And so he's crying out to God and that's the right thing to do. It's a pivotal step in our battle and in, in our admission that our own efforts in the flesh cannot overcome the evil one. We can't, we can't gain victory in our flesh. So accessing these weapons starts with the recognition of our own weakness and coming to God in humility because that's the antidote to pride. Pride says in the moment, if David was being proud, he'd say, God, where are you? I deserve for you to come and, and, and deal with these enemies. I have been only faithful to you. Where are you right now, right? And that's not what he's doing. He's saying, Lord, they're trampling me. I don't have the strength to overcome them. Lord, please inter- intervene for me. Intercede for me. David offers up a cry of help, and so should we, throwing yourself fully on the mercy and grace of God, trusting him alone to rescue you and deliver you. And this is where King David, the warrior poet, goes even further in his admission. Look at verse three. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And I love this. This is the key word here, fear, right? I love it. I find so much comfort in this. Now, I don't know if if you realize this, about me, but I've never led an army into battle. What? And, and if those of you who've been to my house and see my office, and you know there are many swords and shields hanging and sharp objects all over my house. I've never, I've never actually fought in a battle with any of those. It's the craziest thing. That may be a shocking revelation to you. Um, but David had done that on several occasions. And here he is openly admitting that he's afraid. Now if David who is ancient Israel's equivalent of a Navy SEAL, is saying to God, I am afraid right now. Do you think there's room for you to say to God, I'm afraid? Okay, next week, I want this all in writing. And uh, no, some, yeah, the bell rings. There we go. You're dismissed. No, stay, stay, stay. That's a, that's a transition killer right there. Um, David is afraid. And, and, and a love was happening, this shift is happening in his heart, 
right? From the place of this is what I'm struggling with. I'm overwhelmed with this. I can't see beyond it to the place now where he's, he's choosing to run to God first, put his hope and faith in God. And then the shift goes further and, and you begin to come to God on the basis of who he is. And then you get real honest about your mess and how you got here in the first place, right? And as you do that, God renews the mind and he shifts the attitude and he changes the thinking. And all that opens the door for an act of the will. This is all bringing you to the place of not just getting my thinking straight and my feelings aligned with what is true, but bring me to the place where I'm going to act on this because he says, whenever I'm afraid, look at the key here, I will put my trust in you. That's volition. That's volition. That's a choice. Remember that the Hebrew idea of mind is the place where the battle rages. It's the seat of our thinking. It's our emotions and our will. It's all three. It's not this Western 21st century like your brain, uh, all the brain fizz happening here is responsible for how you think and perceive. Like it's like the, the holistic view of the person, right? And so for the battle to be victorious, these three things have to be aligned. Our thinking, our emotions, and our will have to come into alignment. And God can do that. Very, very often we cannot. And so we have, to, we have to go to God. This realignment of the emotions, will, and thoughts with God's truth is the key to the battle. It's a decision to do something in the moment that is not led by fear. It's not led by emotion, but by what is true. And when we do that, I'll just say to you, most of the time when you, when you stop and you say, I'm going to make a decision right now, right on the spot, but it's based on what I know to be true, not on how I feel, it's almost always the right decision. Almost always. We cannot be a people who let our emotions and our feelings drive our relationships, drive our decision making, and then expect that we're going to win the battle against our enemy in the fight every day. We can't expect that we're going to be victorious as we take the, the great commission, the gospel to the lost, if we're being led by our emotions. My emotion, when I try to share the gospel with somebody, here's, here's the predominant emotion in my heart. And I, I see them and I'm like, okay, Lord, I know you're saying to me, I need to talk to that person. And, and I start to approach them. And every step that I take, the, as the gap between us closes, the fear gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if I'm led by my, my emotion, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm just, hey, there's that, uh, hey, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to give in. I'm not going to be obedient, right? So we have to be led by what is true. And David actually does the same thing. This, this progression in many of the Psalms that he wrote. And just as an example, let me share another one with you, uh, Psalm 4, and it's a really short Psalm, and you'll see the progression through, through the shortness of this. He says, uh, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress, but be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And then the word salah, which means to stop and, and think and just pause, ponder. So he's dealing with the volition. He's dealing with the will. In verse one, he's recounting God's faithfulness in the past. That's very important. But he's making the decision to come to God first but try before he's gonna try to do anything in his own power and make it right. He's, he's coming to God first. And then look at three, four, and five. If you're tracking in the text, he says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Now he's dealing with truth. He's dealing with the mind, right? The, the Lord hears me when I call to him. Yes, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is the mind. This is the thought. 
the place of the thoughts. He's dealing with what's true about this, what's true about God. He says, I know this to be true. And he says, this truth about God, this truth about God. And, and then I'm going to do these things because they please God. Did you catch that? He's, he's, he's right in alignment. And then verses six and seven and eight, he says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? I mean, just life is just so hard and overwhelming. Who can show us anything good? That's a place of despair. And there are many who are in despair, he says. But lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have their grain and wine abound. That's a, that's a time of the year when the harvest has come in and now you know that you have enough food to feed your family for the year to come and people are like yes now we can celebrate and and be and be filled with joy because we know that God has provided and David says in this moment I'm, I'm believing you and I have more joy than even when that happens more joy in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone O Lord make me dwell in safety so he shifts from dealing with his feelings and emotions about the situation. There's a refutation of the prevailing mentality of the culture around him, right? And in verse seven, there's a comparison and contrast on the sources of joy and satisfaction. I'm not waiting until my circumstances change, change to find joy and satisfaction in the Lord. I'm gonna do that in faith. I'm gonna embrace the Lord in faith and let him be my joy, my satisfaction. And then verse eight, the result of that is peace and rest and the Lord says I can lay down and go to sleep my anxiety is not going to keep me awake I can lay down and rest because of what God has said to my heart and this is the way that the battle has to be fought if we're going to gain victory over our enemy so back to Psalm 56 the first four verses let's finish the finish the thought here in Psalm 56 verse 4 so David wraps this section up he says in God whose word I praise in God I trust I shall not be afraid what can flesh do to me so key word here is praise, which is a pivotal weapon in our warfare. We have to be a people who praise and worship. And just, man, man, get, get everybody out of, somebody's out of the house, you're home alone, crank it up and just sing. And even if you think you're a terrible singer, just sing. God's not sitting on his throne going, man, I really wish he would just take it down a notch. He's not, he's not. He's like, I had delight in that. My people were uninhibited when they worshiped me. We've talked about this a lot, right? We talked about this when we go to a Seattle Sounders game or a Seahawks game, and everybody's worshiping, and they're worshiping loudly, and they're uninhibited. They're like, yes, my team. Oh, praise be to my team, right? And then we come to church, and we're like, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Right? It's like, man, if we could just, oh, this is a pivotal weapon for us. Second Chronicles 20 tells a story about uh, Israel being attacked by some of their enemies. King Jehoshaphat called for a fast and petitioned the Lord and said, please show us, Lord, what we are to do. Give us a plan of attack. How can we defend ourselves and defeat our enemies? And God's answer to them was this. He says, do not be afraid. The battle's not yours. The battle is mine. And he told them, uh, I'm going to have you go down against the enemy, but you're not going to have to fight them. I'll take care of it. So put the singers out front, which is actually not what the Levitical law says to do. The so guy says, I want you to put the, put the worship leader out front. We're going to war. Put all the guys with the heavy artillery in the back, put the worship leader up front. It's like, what? So put the singers first. And as they went down, they were singing and the Lord... He, he fought the battle. 
And by the time they got to the camp of the enemy, they were totally destroyed. They had killed each other. And those who had survived had fled away. And they were like, okay, thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. In fact, let me just read you just two verses here. Second Chronicles 20, they rose early in the morning, went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went, Jehoshaphat stood. He said, hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe the prophets, and you will prosper. He's saying, believe on God's word. Believe on what he said, right? And when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who sing to the Lord that they should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. We don't have any other text for the song. Maybe they just sang that again and again. Maybe there was more words. I don't know. But, but that key right there, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. And they begin to sing and praise. And the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who come against Judah. And they were defeated. They were defeated. You read the remainder of that story in 2 Chronicles 20, you find the enemy was confused when they came out against the people praising the Lord. Because that's not what you expect, right? You're going, you're going to war, here comes our enemy, we're, we're laying siege to the city, they come out to fight, and here, come the, here comes a choir singing. It's like, what? What? And so they were confused. But there's also a spiritual confusion that came on them. God did a work. Praise coming out of the mouth of the believer silences the enemy and strengthens the believer. When we praise, when we sing, when we worship God. And Jesus in Matthew 21, 16 is quoting uh, Psalm 8 when the little children are coming to him. You remember the scene, the, the, the little ones? And he says, um, don't keep them from coming to me. For, he says, out of the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. That's the quote from the psalm. And he doesn't say any more of the psalm and that quote in the gospel. But if you go back and you read Psalm 8 verse 2, here's the rest of the quote. Out of the lips of children, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. You know, if you're having if you having some real problems and you really need the heavy artillery, get some of the kids from ER Kids to come to your house and worship. That's the that's that's powerful. When children praise God, they silence the foe and the avenger. So what I'm saying to you is, even the least among us can fight. If you think I got to wait till I'm geared up, buffed up, ready to go, maybe by the time I've been in church 10, 15, 20 years. Stop! Like the like little little toddlers can fight spiritually just by praising the Lord, right? They fight. He says, David says, I trust. I will put my trust in the Lord. It's a, it's a decision of the will. It's not an emotion. It's rooted in the knowledge of what is true, that God is trustworthy above all others. The five weeks we've been on this topic of trusting God, I won't linger here. The, the next key concept, he says, I will not be afraid. That's a conscious rejection of fear. That's a deliberate decision to reject fear. Not waiting until the feelings of fear subside, but setting it aside and choosing faith. And God encourages the heart. Literally, that word encourage, it means to put courage in. It means to put courage in our hearts. And we need his encouragement. How many of you here this morning would say, I need God to put some courage in me, right? I need that. I need that. I, I would, I would, that's a prayer of my heart today. I need encouragement from the Lord. And as David walks through the steps of this battle, he receives strength from God. It's beautiful. It's deeply encouraging to watch. And, and if David can do it, you can do it. 
If David can do it, you can do it. If David, the warrior poet, needed strength and encouragement for the battle, you and I need strength and encouragement for the battle. And all of this leads us to a deeper trust in God. It's the goal of all of this is that Jesus wants to strengthen our hearts so that we, we stand in him, we fortify our convictions, and so then the next battle that comes into our lives, we're ready to stand and fight, not just for our families, but for other people in the body of Christ. The more we get this down, the stronger we get in the spirit, the more we're able to link arms with other people and stand together and fight for them as well. And then, and then this line, which I love, the last line of this section of the psalm, he says, so, so what can man do to me? I, I kind of played this whole thing out, catastrophize it to the end where they kill me and then, I, and then I'm with the Lord. What can man actually do to me? One of the results or effects of fighting the battle God's way is the diminished fear of man. It's a diminished fear of man. So one of the things we've been talking about, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission, we are so afraid of people. We're so afraid of rejection. We're so afraid. And I love that one of the, one of the results of this fighting the battle is a diminished fear of man. God is equipping you. Next time you're feeling overwhelmed or confused or discouraged in heart, remember that God is bringing about victory for his people. He's equipping you. And the nearness of his presence is going to increase. And the fear of man will decrease as you praise him, as you go to him in truth. And so here's, here's, here's where we apply this. Second um, Corinthians 4, Paul says it this way. He says, I want you to know we have this treasure, uh, the Holy Spirit in us, that's transforming us back in chapter three of 2 Corinthians. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. There's nothing fancy about the pottery here, right? It's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed and perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're, pure, we're certainly persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then we skip down later in the chapter, he says, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though this outer body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Some of you younger folks sitting here have not experienced that yet. Just wait. When you're 35, 40, 45, be like, dang, it's true. These outer bodies are wasting away. But our inward selves are being renewed day by day. And then he says this, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that we can see are transient. They're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light and momentary affliction storing up for us a weight, an eternal weight of glory. Can you even imagine? I don't know how overwhelmed you feel lately, how big your problems are, how, how much uh, stress and confusion the enemy is able to bring to your thought life, but can you imagine being in the presence of God and all that is gone forever? And just being in his presence. 
how hard, however overwhelming, whatever the circumstance, all of it right now is bringing about something so great and so vast and so wonderful beyond compare that all of this is gonna seem so insignificant compared to what's to come in the presence of Jesus. Man, I read, I read about a woman in St. Louis who had invited a man to come to live in her home though she was not married to him. And after a while, her conscience began to really bother her. I don't, I don't know the extent of their involvement physically, but she knew she was doing wrong. She asked the man to leave and he refused. Well, that's awkward. He said, you invited me in and I'm not leaving. My clothes are here, my stuff is here, I'm not leaving. She said, I order you to leave. I order you to leave. And you know what he did? He laughed at her. He just laughed at her. He said, you can't make me leave. You don't have the strength to do it. You can't put me out. She realized really quickly that she, she really didn't have the strength to do it. He was right. And so she changed, her, uh, she changed her strategy. She shifted a little bit. She began to plead with him, please leave. He said, no, I'm not going anywhere. And the longer he continued to stay, the more she became embarrassed and humiliated and convicted by a careless decision that she had made. And she knew that she'd done something wrong by inviting him to come and live in her house, but she didn't know what to do now that he was refusing to leave. So she went finally to talk to a lawyer and the lawyer sent her to the judge and the judge issued an injunction, injunction that said the man had no legal right to be there and that he must move out. And now she went back to her house with the legal injunction, she showed it to him and she said, now I have legal backing and the judge is on my side and he'll send the police if you don't go and I'm telling you now, get out. And then he began to panic and wail and weep and plead because she had legal grounds and she stood her ground because she had legal ground to be there and to kick him out. And after all the protesting and crying and sobbing, he finally left because he knew he had to go because there's a higher authority who intervened. She had appealed to a higher authority and he had intervened. And so listen to me very carefully. If you don't hear anything else this morning, the devil is exactly like that. We invite him in in ways that we don't even, we're not even aware of and he gets in and he refuses to leave. He will refuse to leave. And we have to appeal to the higher authority. Some of you are here this morning, you've given place to the devil even though you're born again. He, he's come in, he's set up shop, formed some strongholds in your heart and mind and in your life. And sometimes in moments of clarity and, and frustration, you ask him to leave and he won't leave. You ask him. And, and, then you, and then you get to the place where you're angry and you command him to leave and he won't leave and you beg him and you plead and he won't leave. And what you need to do is pray yourself right into the heavenly courts at the feet of God and in the power of your attorney, Jesus, who's representing you to the Father, make your appeal to the judge of heaven and earth. And when you come under the judge's authority, right, then you're free to deal with this. You're free to command Satan to leave because you, you've, you've appealed to higher power. You've gone to him. You've got your mind straightened out with him. And then he, Satan has to leave in the name of Jesus. You just tell him straight up, I'm not going to play games anymore. Just speak, just like go home and, and wait till nobody else is home with you. If you need to just shout in an empty room, do it. 
do it, okay? But get your mind straight about this. You have weapons. God has given us weapons. They are not carnal weapons. They're spiritual, powerful. They tear down strongholds. He says they cast down every argument. They can bring every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And when you have victory in your mind, you have victory in your body and in your soul. And there's a battle for your mind taking place even at this moment. If we're gonna take ground and thrive in our day, we have to learn to fight the battle correctly. And the weapons of our warfare are not weapons of this world. Paul says this, Philippians 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let anxiety take control of you. He says, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your heart, that's the key, expressing gratitude to God for what he has done, then let your requests be made known to God. And then here's, here's what he promises. He says, the peace of God will come upon you, will settle on your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything's worthy of praise, think about these things. So don't let anxiety rule the day. Seize it back. Before you became a Christian, Colossians 1.21 says you are alienated and enemies of God in your minds. When you give your heart to Christ, he storms the fortress of your mind, he breaks down the walls, casts out the devil, and takes over. You know, the problem, I think, with most Christians today is we think that we're in a parade, not a war. We got on the right clothes, and we got a sword strapped to our side, but we think we're going to a parade to march for show instead of being in a battle. And we gotta get our, we gotta get our heads on straight. So I so many casualties on the spiritual battlefield. So as we wrap up this series, uh, Trust God, this morning, I want to just sneak in one, one little taste from Nehemiah as we close out our time in the Word. Nehemiah 4.14, and this is the, the hope of the attitude that I hope that you go in today. Nehemiah says, I looked and I rose, and I spoke to the nobles and officials of the rest of the people, and here's what he said. Do not be afraid of our enemies. Do not fear them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Love that. I love that. So as we respond to the Holy Spirit this morning with our voices raised in worship and song, I want to invite you to choose truth this morning. Choose the word of God and let it realign your mind, your thoughts, your your emotions, your will, and bring it into alignment with God's word and God's character and fight in the spirit. Fight for your minds. Fight for your spouses. Fight for your children, your homes. Fight for your neighbors and your friends and fight the battle even right now as we worship. Lord Jesus, I just ask you to direct us in that as we we lift our voices in song. Lord, you you would be... Uh, doing a work in our hearts and that even you would bring to remembrance for many of us in the coming moments places where the enemy has uh, more influence or more control than he should have in our lives and that you would you would bring us into the place of doing battle in these moments in our own hearts we ask you for your direction for your spirit to superintend our hearts and and our emotions and to bring them into alignment with your will we ask all these things in jesus name amen